thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through his word. Thy praise confess, yea, of thy word, yea, my tongue would sing, yea, I covered my Lord's Day, in the name of Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is a happy thing to be ruled by the King of Joy. Amen? Amen. Isaiah prophesied of a day in Isaiah 9. We oftentimes quote it at the, uh, in Advent season or on Christmas Day. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Uh, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. And oftentimes we don't think about the government of God and the joy that it brings. The reason we can have peace and harmony and love uh, with one another as we gather together and unity of any kind is because of the beauty of the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. Amen? Amen. Amen. Psalm 48 is our call to worship. I preached on Psalm 46 last week, and Psalm 47 was our call to worship, which is today's text. Uh, But Psalm 48, those three psalms make up a trio. So Psalm 48 will be our call to worship today. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled and they passed by together. They saw it and they marveled. They were troubled and they hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there in pain as if a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard and so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Can we say amen? Amen. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy people. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise under the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion. Go round about her and tell the towers thereof. 
Mark ye well her bulwarks and consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever, and he will be our guide even unto death. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not only our Father in an intimate and personal way, that we are your children, but we thank you today, and today we are rejoicing that you are the King, the King of joy. Lord, you have given joy through your works and your words and your testimonies, Lord. And today we pray as we come before you, Lord, with unclean hands, that you would clean our hands. Lord, with sins as scarlet, that you would wash us and make us white as wool. We pray today that as we come before you, we longing to hear your voice, that you would speak to us and that you would change us and make us more fit for heaven. We thank you for all of these things. And in Christ's name, God's people said... Amen. Amen. My sermon today is called King of Joy. And my text is the entire psalm. It's not a very long psalm. Um, and I would love to say that my sermon is not going to be very long, but that would not be honest with you. Uh, I will, I'll, I'll be done when I'm done. Um, but man, I have a whole lot extra in here than maybe I can cover. So I'll do my very best. Pray for me that the Lord will uh, help me with that because I, I'm not just here to keep you. Uh, I'm here to speak God's word. Amen. All right. Text is the entire Psalm. I'll just go ahead and read it. Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together. Even the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have the shields of the earth. We thank you that you are king of all the earth. Lord, let us proclaim it today. That is the good news. The good news is that you are king over the earth, that we are no longer ruled by sin and we are no longer ruled by the tyrant, the devil, uh, who so craftily tries to get us to voluntarily enter into his service. We are free from him. Lord, may he be gone from us. May we cast him out of this church and cast him out of our lives by obeying our true and rightful king. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. King of kings and Lord of lords. King with a capital K of kings with a lowercase k. Lord with a capital 
L of lords with a lowercase l. Now we know that God is the king of kings and the lord of lords, but who are these kings and lords with the lowercase l's and k's? You might foolishly say, there's no one over me but God. And I really think this is what we all sort of think somewhere down inside. Nobody rules me but God. Well, it sounds good, right? You can even have one of those Texas t-shirts on. Don't tread on me. Stick out your chest. I'm a free man. I do what I want. Nobody rules me but God. Not true. God the all-powerful has established powers. And the powers that be, the Bible tells us, are ordained of God. And there's a whole lot of them. Okay? Okay? Romans chapter 13 says this, just in case you think Pastor Mark is making things up. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Higher powers means the rulers, those that are over you. For there is no power but of God. If there is authority out there, God is the one who has established it. The powers that be are ordained of God, and whosoever resists the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, now how does that sound? Come on. I can already hear it. But, 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 but well, what that really mean? Right? I mean, only when... Uh, 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 uh. But, but now you got to remember... Uh, uh, right? Because, I mean, these are the kind of scriptures that really need qualifications. Kind of like wives submit yourself. Well, now, well, I mean, you know what that means. What it really doesn't mean. I mean, we, we've got to hurry up and start explaining, right? Now, what would you do if those above you warned you about these words when you question and rebuff their God-ordained authority? What do you do? Well, I know because I've tried it on a few of you. It didn't really work out so good for me. When I do this, I'm usually considered mean or I'm treated like that I'm in sin, that I'm, they, they're quick to remind, you know, you should not be lording over God's people. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's lording would be inappropriate, but lording with a little L is, it's not inappropriate. In fact, it's ordained of God that somebody does it. But what's funny is I usually feel like I'm the mean guy when I do. I'm like, well, you know, you're right. I mean, you know, I, I probably have no business telling Luke and Laura anything. I mean, I don't know. I tried and they, you know, and, and that's how we feel. And the reason I, 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 I generally settle on the fact that I probably don't really have the power that God's actually given me. I have no right to remind you about it, but it's because I'm a spiritual sissy. Folks, God's word says something we should be okay that it says it and we should be like like should a man feel uncomfortable that he's a man should a husband feel uncomfortable that he is god's head of his home should a should a governor feel that he doesn't have uh you know the authority that he has to run his state or a president in his country i was really trying to think of why i always want to sort of feel like my power doesn't really belong to me. And it's probably because this, 
I can relate to that feeling of temptation that I get when those that are authority try to tell me what to do. I don't like it. First thing I want to say is, who do they think they are? And God goes, they're the ones I gave you to be over you. So shut up. But we don't listen to God's voice. Whenever we hear this verse and others that remind us of the very clear doctrine of God's word, this is not one of these debatable doctrines that, well, it's not really in there. I mean, you know, it's just in this one spot. No, it's, it's everywhere. But we have these words, yeah, yeah, but already forming in our mouth when we hear it. When the, when the scripture starts, we're already got our hand up. Uh, but, 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 but what about, but, but not when here and, and, but like it or not, everyone is under someone or something else. In fact, you and I in particular as Americans, we're under a whole host of others. Now you might not give it much thought, but submission to all of these things and all of these people really makes up most of our lives. Being subject to these authorities, these higher powers, it really costs us a great deal of time and money. If you've gone out to try to get your driver's license renewed recently, you know what I'm talking about. There's a line halfway down the block. You're like, you mean I've got to stand in this line for two hours so that I'm not breaking the law? Well, I think I'm just not going to do it. I'm just getting back in my car. Well, all right, see how that works out for you. Being subject to these higher powers takes a great deal of time and money and actually affects us almost every day. The child is under his parents, God-given authority, are they not? How many of you are ready to relinquish your authority that God's given you over your children and just go, you know what, I'm probably not smart enough, I probably don't know enough Bible, it's okay, uh, it's okay if uh, Luke uh, Cusel does whatever is right in his own eyes. Because I, the king, Andy, am, am not perfect. And so I really can't impose that on, on this wise, wise subject of the kingdom of Cusel. Any of you ready to do that? That wouldn't work out good for you, Luke. You would eat so much cotton candy that your head would fall off. It would just be, it would be amazing. You'd go to the fair. You'd spend all the money on pretzels, probably, and elephant ears, and, and who knows what, right? At least... I'm just thinking about what I would do if I, when I was your age. In a city, no matter how small it is, it has, uh, sometimes has an income tax. And if they have it, guess what you got to do? You got to pay it. Property taxes are excised to us from the county level. And most everything else falls under the umbrella of state and federal governments. I mean, if I started listing every person that was over you from... Uh, township to county to city to state to government you'd be like you'd start squirming all over no they're not no they're not no they're not yeah, yeah they are in fact not only are they but god has ordained that they are you might not like it you know there's a there's a popular thing online today i don't know if any of you have seen this have you seen the videos people make when the police pull them over it's a big, big business. The police pull them over and they get out their camera and they tell the police, you don't have the right to pull me over and I'm not getting out of my car and I'm not giving you a driver's license. You guys ever see these? There's, there's tons of them. And in the end, you're supposed to go, yeah, I'm an American. Stick it in his eye. Who does he think he is to pull me over? Yeah. And people, and they show these videos and they're like, look at, look at me. I'm telling you that people love it. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll get, you know, uh, AR-15s and walk around neighborhoods and policemen will pull them up. Doing the America, I can't walk around with a machine gun. Who do you think you are? I mean, the people are shooting people with machine guns and it scares people. 
Let's not let that enter into the fray. But we like to rebel against authority because we like to think we're not under them, but we are. And God put them there and we should honor them, respect them, and pray for them. Does that mean they're infallible? No, just like it doesn't mean you are. And if the exceptions make the rule, nobody should ever listen to you either. Could you imagine if your child made a video of like, you know, of you and how he wasn't going to listen to you? This old man thinks he's somebody. He thinks he can tell me what to do, but uh-uh. Uh-uh. I can't find it anywhere in the Bible that I got to eat Brussels sprouts. He never eats them. I don't know who he thinks he is. Look at him. He's been sick every time the, the flu went through. He got it. What would you do? We would have anarchy. Not just in Minneapolis, but in Orion and in Mount Sterling, in your houses. Ohio tells you what you need to do to drive on her roads or to buy or sell goods within her borders. The United States controls your travel outside of the country and back in. Try to go out and come back in without a passport. See how that works out for you. I'd make photocopies of mine. I'd take pictures of it on my phone. I'd stick it in my pocket because I'll tell you what, I don't want to be in Myanmar and trying to get home and them going, Mr. Robinette, uh, I know that's, at least that's what you say her name is. Uh, you're not getting on the plane. I'm like, oh, please. Like, I don't want to be stuck over there. Okay, I go over there for a reason and I come home for another and it's because I'd rather be here. Okay? Our state and the U.S. government have laws that must be observed under great penalty if we violate them. Police with batons, guns, and tasers, backed up by laws, judges, jails, form a complex network, complex network of authority over all of us every day. And honestly, if you think about it, it's really quite a lot, but we'd really just rather not think about that. Let's, could we think about something else today, Pastor Mark? You and I are under authority, layer upon layer over much of our lives. We don't really have to think about it that often. We've grown accustomed to so many parts of it that we sort of do them without thinking about them. We say, oh, well, it's just what we have to do. In our corner of the world, we have enjoyed freedom like most of the world would never dare to dream of. I've traveled a little bit. I've had people walk up to me with a machine gun and want to search my wallet. I mean, how many of you would accept that here in the good old United States? Tell me you want to search my wallet and then reach in and, and... confiscate green contraband. Yeah, that's happened to me. I remember getting home and kissing the ground, the muddy ground. That's when they used to let you out of an airplane outside. If you haven't traveled outside of our country, chances are you have no idea what a wonderful place you live in and what wondrous freedoms that you have and the joy and the privilege to live under them. Everybody say joy. You go, well, I don't really think government is a joyful thing. Let me tell you right now, when the king of kings is your king, his government, he brings joy. He's the king of joy. Compared to the rest of the world, our life is a light, constant, unfettered joy for this weekend. And we should give thanks. Isn't this a great week to do it? Right? As we celebrate our independence from Great Britain. But we're so rebellious that even though we have it better than billions of others around the world, we do our fair share of complaining and we kick against the authority bristling at their audacity to rule us. I can see the face that we make when we feel that we think someone's treating us the wrong way. Can you see this face? This is the face that says, 
Who do they think they are? That's not a good face. That's not one of the fruits of the Spirit, I can guarantee you. Most of what gives us these feelings, though, is our very freedom. You know, when you've tasted freedom and it's really, really, really good, you know what you want, Luke? You want more! It's just like Hezekiah. He had all of this stuff, but when he got... Well, you know what he did? He got more. And when he got more, what happened to him? It says he got to thinking, you know what? I'm big stuff. Check me out. People from everywhere are bringing me gifts. Now, five minutes ago, he was locked inside of his city, getting ready to be starved to death by the Assyrians. God delivers him, and they start bringing gifts from all around. And he's like, you know what? I'm one bad dude. I got walls on my city and nobody can come in here. Nobody can touch me. And look, I've got, I even had to build new houses to put my stuff in. I got so much stuff. I'm really great. And God says, uh, you're going to die. Most of what gives us the feelings that, that these bad feelings are the very freedom themselves with the government of the people, by the people, and for the people, as Abraham Lincoln called it in his famous Gettysburg Address, We are so free that we think the very best thing would be to be completely free. It's not the best thing. God has established the powers that be and they are ordained by him. When we resist those powers, we resist God. It says it, you can't argue with it. We want to be free of all encumbrances upon our desires, free from authority. And you know it's true. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, it's how we like to live best. But that's not God's plan for you. In fact, when you are free of all authority, you end up becoming a slave to sin. Because when you do what you want to do, sin walks up and he puts shackles on your ankles and he puts chains on your hands and he locks you up in a prison of your own desire and you find out that even if total freedom was given to you that that really amounts to slavery we used to make a little joke at, back at the uh, the church when the church first started everybody smoked and and you know it's like you know is is it in the bible that tobacco is a sin or whatever you know what whatever it is if you want to try to the theology of it it was easy to see When you start smoking, eventually the cigarettes tell you when you're going to smoke them and how many you're going to smoke. And if you don't have the money to to pay for them, you're looking through couches and and it's two in the morning and you're like going like that, you know, and you find out that sin is a slavery. As my buddy John out in California puts it, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Amen? We prefer it when our bows of humility are voluntary and symbolic, and we hate it when we get pushed down to where we belong. But be it known, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. You will bow to God's power and authority on your own, or you will be pushed down. You go, that's not fair. God would never do that to me. Oh yeah, He would and He will just try to rebel against Him and find out. The Bible says you might think you can break the law, but you cannot because you will be crushed by it if you don't obey it. Now don't forget, as husbands, mothers, 
fathers and leaders of all sorts, somebody is serving under your reign. You ever think of this, Steve? Steve King, Foise with a little K, Lord Foise, Foise with a little L. You have subjects in your kingdom and your reign affects them a great deal. And the deal is, is those of us with these little tiny bits of power are often tyrants to our subjects when God is kind to us. So what kind of king with a little K are you? What kind of Lord with a little L are you? Are your subjects living under the benevolent rule with a good balance of mercy and justice? And do they see you as the king of joy? Have you taught them to love the king of kings by loving one another? Or have you created a world of unity, but the unity is around how to beat your system? You'd be surprised the things that I learn from your children. <laughs> I know what kind of kings and lords you are. Yeah, I do. And if I, I could totally humiliate several of you right now. Your little kids will tell me things and I go, holy mackerel. They tell me how they figure out ways around your arbitrary rules, how they sneak and hide and how they, they figure out ways around you. you. You'd be surprised what old Pastor Mark learns. That's kind of my job, you know. I'm, I'm not a spy, but that's kind of my job. Have they become lawyers under your harsh and arbitrary laws and as a result, they do the same with God and with one another? Have you emphasized righteousness so much that they have created secret keeping societies to hide their sins from you instead of being able to confess them? We lived in a world where this had, there's, there was a time when a woman would conceive out of wedlock and they would lock her away somewhere and hide her away and take her child from her. Those were bad days. Do you know that you create an environment like that in your home? The environments that some create in their homes are the kind that if one of your daughters got pregnant, that you would just as soon take it to the abortion mill and kill it than for everyone in the church to find out about it. Is that the kind of home you're forming? Where your child, if they did something wrong and had a sin in their life, that you would be more humiliated by that than you would be worried about love for them? Is that really the kind of home you want to have? Now, I'm not saying it should be okay to sin. Sin has its consequences, but do they really need to come from you when they're already coming from God? Do you really want to terrify your children into hiding from you what you need to hear more than anything? Do you want them to be the one that, do you want to be the one that say, you know what, I could tell my dad anything. My dad will love me. My dad will forgive me. My dad will help me. Or do you, do you want to be the one that's terrified to speak what you've done? Have you let anarchy reign in the, your streets under the guise of love only to see violence and indifference in your home? Neglected children often fare worse than the abused. Balance is the most difficult thing. Chances are you err on one side or the other, whether it is neglecting them by you know, doing everything in the world while you don't even know what your children are doing. You may, you know, put them through a regimen of things, but then you leave them completely unattended. They are coming up with interesting things to do. In homes like this, oftentimes things happen you would not imagine. We are going to be talking about some yucky things in the future because we have to. We have a lot of children 
Who wants to talk about incest? Who wants to talk about children left to their own bringing their parents shame? Who wants to talk about stuff like that? I don't want to talk about it, but I'll tell you right now, if you don't pay attention to your children and you don't know what's going on with them and they are forming these little secret groups in your own home, you're going to find out that some shameful behavior is going to occur. And if you go, well, not in our church, well, it happens in 50 to 60% of the homes in America right now. So you might want to consider paying attention to what your children are doing rather than leaving them to their own. To please the king of joy, God only asks that we offer our best and pray for help and walk in humility, knowing and confessing our faults and our failures. You know, if your children see you ready to confess your own sins, not allowing them to believe that you are better than you are, you're going to raise children who understand. If you put yourself up as a paragon of virtue in your home, they are going to realize they can never be what they think you are, not what you really are. And it can cause some pretty damaging things to happen in your home. Psalm 47 is in the middle of a trio of undesignated authored psalms that, as we talked about last week, were most likely written by the prophet Isaiah. The reason I'm talking so much about rule and about kingship is because we're going to talk here a little bit about the king of joy, about the authority that God has over us and the authority God has put over us. All of that authority is to remind us of the authority in heaven. Because if we're remembering that our husband is an authority or our mom or our dad or the government, we remember that God has rules and he has a kingdom as well. We forget. We think we're walking around and we're not in any kingdom at all, but we are. And we're living in the kingdom of God. These three Psalms, 46, 47, and 48, were thought to be written in response to God's deliverance of Jerusalem from the Assyrians led by Sennacherib, which we read about here just a little bit ago. What happened on that day uh, was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 8. And we are told more about this in Isaiah 36 and 37, for those of you that like to read more. 2 Kings 19 and 2 Chronicles 32. It's a pretty big story. The proud Assyrian king who thought so much of himself and he blasphemed God saw that one gentle blow by the true king could make 185,000 valiant men into corpses without so much as raising a sword. Israel saw it too. And they were so filled with shock and awe at first, but finally with unbridled celebration. Can you guys imagine this? Can you imagine if you were surrounded and you thought you were going to die and your enemies were terrifying and they were building these siege towers and cutting off your supplies and you were like, this is bad, this is scary. And walking out and seeing them all dead. At first you'd be like, what could do something like this? And then you'd be like, yes, it's over. The heart of the psalm seems to be the rising of God after he has vanquished his enemies. In the middle of the Assyrian trash talking and tumult, he quietly came down and confounded and humbled them all, leaving everyone speechless. By verse 5, we see him ascending up, not with raised hands. You know how champions will often do. The crowd, you know. This is not what God does. 
This is what we do because we're kind of like, man, this is great. I don't know how long it's going to last. I may get beat up in the next round, okay? But, but like, look at me, yeah. That's what we do. But God comes down, defeats the enemy, and he kind of ascends back slowly up to heaven like that really wasn't much. And we go, yeah, there he goes. He's our God. Their gods aren't real. Their gods are made of stone. Their gods are made of wood. Their gods have no power. They offer sacrifice and nothing happens. But look at our God. Look at it. He killed them all. And there he goes. He's rising up into heaven. That's what we see by verse 5. He is the king of joy. The one who brings peace and happiness like no other can as he subdues not only the nations, but the hearts of men in his reign. It is yet another of the songs of the sons of Korah, or for the sons of Korah. I pray God gives us people that love music and love worship who can lead our church in that. I would love that. That would just thrill my soul. It could be like the sons of Korah. To the chief musician, a psalm for the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Can you see what they're saying? God has done this. He has leveled them. God has dropped an atomic bomb on them and flattened them because he can. He's the peacemaker. You know. The song begins with a worthy ovation for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We know how to do it for the people in the world. We know how to do it for superstars. We know how to do, we know how to do that for them. But, but doing it for God almost seems kind of, kind of odd. But I'm telling you what, it is as, it is as natural as kneeling on the ground. If you so God and you fell prostrate down, you know, the glory of God and you're, that thing that happens to you, that thing that when you are feeling a need for God, that you raise up your hands to God, that thing uh, is also just as natural to be like, you do it. You do it for the people of the world. Why can't we do it for God? Lord of hosts, mighty in battle as the train of his glory fills the Colosseum of the whole earth where he alone is champion. I wish I had reverb. Champion, champion. That's what it is. That's what's going on in the song. It's the, he's the champion, champion of the world, of the world, of the universe, the universe. Can you hear it? It echoes. It is an echo of praise. Clap your hands, all you people. Rise to your feet with standing thunder of praise, people of God. Shout, shout. You know, there's no quiet way to shout. You might go, whoo, but that's not a shout. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. What this means is this. Now picture this. All right. Just hold on. Can you guys hold on? With, for the, are you ready? All right. Picture this. It's fourth down. Fourth down and long, backed up against the hopeless goal line with 30 seconds left on the clock. The quarterback takes the shotgun snap high as he's walking back now into the middle of the end zone. Wide receivers streak down each side of the field as a tight end who was uh, holding close to the line now streaks straight down the middle. Wide receivers streak down each side and, and the offensive line begins to collapse amid the unrelenting pressure of an all-out blitz from the defense. Just as strong hands begin to pull the quarterback to the ground, he shovels the ball forward for a waiting fullback. 
With thighs the size of some people's waist, he begins weaving, dodging and spinning, jumping over would-be tackler. In a flash, he is at the five-yard line. He runs, he revs up into explosive speed and leaps straight over the head of the lunging safety and comes down on the 15-yard line. One turf-ripping foot rips the grass before he catapults forward in seeming five-yard strides. Can you see it? I've seen it. If you haven't seen this, and if you're not a football fan, you're missing it, I can tell you right now. The crowd begins to stand to their feet with excitement as speed and momentum increase. As the run begins to look more like an unstoppable dance. To the 30, to the 40. Have you ever seen this? Have you guys ever seen this? Have you ever seen this? I'm telling you what, if you've never seen it, you, it... I got to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers when I was a reporter, and I got to stand down on the line like one foot away from these guys, and they're all like that big. And their thighs are like that big around. It's incredible. They're like, they're like, draw, draw. You know? Jerome Bettis, they used to call him the bus. I can picture him, blah, you know, these guys hanging out like that. To the 30, the 40, now crossing midfield. Popcorn and ice from discarded drinks fly like confetti as fans forget themselves and free their hands in applause. They begin to clap. Hot screams of elation from the fans who had already given up hope now pierce the cold late night air as clouds of their breath begin to create a veritable fog. Can you see it? No one is sitting down now. Only a few swift-footed pursuiters are left, clutching the ball tight to his chest with one arm, with an arm out with his right. Come on. You go, oh, you're making a big show. Yeah, that's what this is talking about. God, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Colosseums have echoed for less than this. Colosseums have echoed for a man holding a pigskin ball, outrunning other men on the field. But this is the King of Kings. It's the Lord of Lords, mighty in battle. 185,000 people are laying dead because he walked and blew on them. And he's walked away and the Bible says he rises up. Moments later, he scores the winning touchdown. Excited fans flood the field and his teammates lift the runner over their heads. It's pandemonium. Victory stolen from the clutches of defeat. Clap your hands. All you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. The Hebrew word for clap indicates the smacking, just in case you needed to know. The smacking of the hollow of your hands. And I thought this was interesting too, Ryan, because it's not just that. It's also the hollows of your feet. People are stomping. People are clapping. And you go, what in the world is going on? I think you become undignified. And I'll say, you know what? David wasn't dignified. And this psalm is not dignified. He's talking about a pandemonium of celebration for the king of glory. Shout means to raise or to shout your voice or to give a blast. I like that one. To give a blast. Oh! To blast with your voice, with a voice of triumph. It says the voice of triumph in Hebrew is a ringing cry. Trumpeting with your voice. A, one that is cacophonous, that echoes and shakes the air. Just in case you needed a little Hebrew to help you out. God has not merely scored in a game in one fell swoop. He has ended a terrifying siege of death that hung over their city with the dread and freed them 
from an army who, like locusts, have consumed much of their land. The king of joy has come, and the agony of defeat has been washed away into the thrill of victory. That's all just verse 1. Mm. This was something to clap about, folks, to clap for, to shout about with a ringing cry, to blast out of their mouths like trumpets and shouts to God. Verse 2, for the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. Now, kids, just so you know, when it says God's terrible, it doesn't mean he's bad. It means that he should frighten us. He's terrifying. I remember in that book that C.S. Lewis wrote, is it a horse and his boy? Or is it, or is it Narnia where they said, are you a safe lion? He's like, no, no, I'm not. I've eaten whole worlds. I'm like, okay, okay. Okay. You think a black hole is scary? God made those. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. The word terrible here in Hebrew means to invoke great fear or to frighten. His power should frighten us. His greatness should overwhelm us with awe. He is not just great like a singer or a star athlete or even an earthquake or a volcano, which are just arbitrary. They kind of just explode, right? He is intelligence personified, wisdom in application. His power as a king over all the earth is certain king of kings and lord of lords. And under his reign, his subject no joy like no others. Verse 3, he shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. Psalm takes a turn. Not only is God great, but God is great in me. God is great in what he's doing in my life. God is great in what he's doing through me. If you don't understand this, you haven't read the Bible. I'm going to be teaching through the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians ends with this imperative that God has made everything. Every principality, power, ruler, might, and dominion. Every name that is named in this world and in that which is to come. And have put all things under our Of course it's under his. Right? And he says it. I'll read it for you just in case, once again, you think Pastor Mark is making stuff up. Far above all principality, power, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, this is Ephesians 1.21, but that which is in the world to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. In him, because we're in him and a part of his body, when his feet are over something, guess whose feet are over them as well? Yours and mine. Because he is the king of joy, he rules over us. But how we rule over others matters so very much. In his kingdom, we and free women, we are forgiven. Not relegated to the pig pen of our sin or the servant's house because of the smell of our own sins permeating our garments. No, indeed. The king of joy picks us up. He puts a royal robe on our backs and a ring of power on our fingers. And he brings us into his house, an heir of the kingdom. Is this what we do, though, to others? Is this how we treat our children? Is this what we do in the world? Or do we walk by them and snarl our nose at them and go, ew? Do we look at our children with disdain when they sin and wonder how in the world they ever came from our bodies because what is wrong with them? God doesn't treat us how he could treat us. 
He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't, he's not disgusted by our weakness. We who owed God so much a great debt that we could never repay, even though we went bankrupt and couldn't keep up the payments he has given us, a perfect credit score. Are we teaching our children how to keep up on the payments through their righteous living? Or are we teaching them about the one who paid the debt for us and has not dealt with us according to our sins? Folks, I'm telling you right now, please, please teach your children about love and forgiveness by showing it. Are you keeping a ledger of their sins? Or are you throwing them as God does in the sea of forgetfulness never to be remembered against them anymore? As I was preparing to preach this psalm, God urged me to remind somebody here today about the, the words of Romans chapter 6. We read them, but we got to talk about them for just a minute. Andy read the whole chapter, so I'm just going to do a few verses here. But I want you to be reminded of this. You are going to serve somebody. The Apostle Paul had been teaching them about sin and grace in Romans chapter 5. He was doing this in such a beautiful way, showing them how God deals with us, that when our sin abounds, what abounds more? Grace. His mercy abounds. He told them, understanding the dark heart of sinful man, though, Paul had to throw this in because man, when he gets away with something, thinks he just can get away with more. It's like when God blesses him with wealth, what does he want? He wants more. When God gives him freedom, what does he want? He wants more. And when God gives us grace, oftentimes, you know what we want? We want we want more. Oh, folks, let's not, let's not go, oh, look, God's giving away gifts. I want them all. In fact, I'd like a little bit more grace. So I'm going to live like a wretch. I'm going to live like a heathen. Oh, he understands me. He knows I'm just a man. It's all right. I'm going to go ahead and do this thing. Oh, people of God, don't do that. That's so horrible. That's so nasty. If you did that to me, it would crush my heart. Oh, Mark is nice. Mark will come whenever I call. Mark will give me whatever I have. He'd go, yeah, you know what? I don't need to worry about it. I just need to just take his stuff. It isn't that God runs out, but we presume upon him. It's so ungodly, so nasty. But Paul is not telling us how nasty it is for us to do this. That'd be more like me. Here I am. I'm, I'm treating you the way the king of glory does it. Paul says, let me, let me remind you what this means. When you don't want God as your king, someone is going to be your king. And the reason you want God to be your king is there is no better king. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? It says in Romans 6, 1, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. I'm telling you right now, when you sin, when you give way to lust, when you give way to temptation, when you give way to lying, when you give way to self-preservation, when you do these things, you become a slave to it. It will rule you. It will chain you. And it will bind you. You could be free in Christ and yet be here today in shackles of your own sin. Not because he put you there, but because you put yourself there. It says, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign. See that word reign? It means do not let it rule you in your mortal body that you should obey the lust thereof. I'm telling you right now. 
When you give sin a little bit, that's why the Bible says don't give place to the devil. If you give him a place in your life, he will grab a hold of you. He will uh, latch onto you. He will wrap you up like a python and he will not let you go. And you go, oh, well, he can't do that. You know, he can't. But if you open the door to him and you open the door to that sin, it can destroy your life. I've seen it happen time and again. We can debate on whether you get to go to heaven after that or not, but I don't think in the moment it's really going to matter much. When you find yourself a slave of sin, when you find your relationships destroyed, when you find there, there's no communication and there's no love in your home or in that relationship, when, you, when you've done somebody wrong in a business deal and you did it for your own good and that person can't trust you anymore. You know, rebuilding trust is impossible almost. Building it isn't really that hard, but rebuilding it is almost impossible. Once you violate somebody's trust, it's hard to get it back. The Bible says it's like taking a city with walls. It's hard. You don't want to do that. But sin will do that. Sin, the the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So he wants to introduce you to a little bit of free this or a little bit of easy that and go, look, see, nothing bad happened. It's fine. You'll be all right. What's the big deal? God's gracious and kind, and it's the, I mean, I got this. I talked to a man whose life was ravished by alcohol, and he, when he got out of it later after 20 years of hell and losing almost everything, that he, well, he did lose everything. He said, what happened to me is I came to believe that I could just have one drink. And he goes, and I could not admit that I couldn't have just one. I was so stubborn because I'm like, you know what? A man ought to be able just to have one drink. But he couldn't. He wouldn't admit his weakness, his frailty. And as a result, one drink always turned into drunkenness. And it became a slavery which destroyed everything in his life. Verse 13 says, Neither yield ye your members of instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God. He's the king of joy, folks. For sin shall not have dominion over you. This word dominion, are you, are you hearing the reign, the dominion, the kingship, the lordship of Christ here? You cannot let it have dominion over you. Sin cannot tell you what to do. You shall not, sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but you are under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know you not, and this is the part that God really was putting on my heart. So if you're here, listen to this. Know you not that to whom you yield yourself, servants to obey, his servants you are, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. We believe that God saves us. I believe that it's possible that Ananias and Sapphira were even saved. But I'll tell you what, God was not going to have a bunch of lying, proud, greedy people taking credit for goodness. And so he killed them. And when he killed them, the whole church quaked in fear. I won't be surprised though, Brother Ryan, if they're in heaven. And you go, who are you? You go, I'm Ananias. And he's like, man, I'm just glad to be used of the Lord. You know how many people, you know how many people did not follow in my footsteps? Do you know how many people, and then the wife that stuck by him through thick and thin, right? She's dead too. Oh yeah, it was the exact price, right? Yeah. Whether it is or whether it's not, we see how that sin destroyed. 
He got destroyed by giving in the offering? Can you imagine this? God kills people because they don't give what they say they're giving in the offering. Wow, I may need more water. You cannot lie to God. That's what it says. Right? That's what they they said. What has possessed you to think that you can lie to God? Do you think that God doesn't know what you give in the offering? Do you think that God knows that when you sold the property, you didn't give all of the price of the money to the offering? Know you not that to whom you yield yourself a servant to obey, his servants you are whom you obey, whether sin unto death or obedience to righteousness. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin, and you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. And, and I've got to move on. Verse 4 tells us that God has chosen our inheritance. You know, we are already rich. Some of us are hoping and waiting until the day we can get rich. Folks, we're rich right now. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Our name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. What more do we need? I'd like a little bit more right now, please, Lord. Verse 5, God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of the trumpet. The image here is one of great triumph, but on a level that we might miss if we do not know our Bibles well. The victorious God of heaven is done with his enemies and the people of God shout with an echo of praise. They do it with a ram's horn, a shofar. When the Bible says trumpet, it means... I have one. I wish I would have brought it. I, don't, I, I, I actually can't blow it very good. It sounds more like this when I blow it. It would have not had the effect. But the ram's horn was of, of one of the great tools and great instruments ordained by God and very important in Jewish life and liturgy. We could easily spend literally weeks talking about it. If you don't know the role... Oftentimes you miss it because you hear the word trumpet and you're picturing this shiny brass thing, you know, uh, played by one of the great big bands in the world. Or you think it's the big long thing, you know, that kings do, that big long trumpet, you know, you know, that they do. But it's not. It's a ram's horn. There's a whole theology in it. It's incredible. It's wonderful. I can't do it. But God's people were called. This started when the book of the law was delivered to the children of Israel. It says, Exodus 19, when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come to the mountain. Can you imagine this? And the people of God came to the mountain. That's when this started, okay? You can read about it in Exodus 19. The sound of the trumpets was loud and the people could hear it. And the camp began to tremble when they heard the sound of the trumpet. The blast of the shofar is what is known as the trump of God. You guys may have, you know, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound or the trump of God shall sound in the scripture. They're talking about. It was also used to proclaim liberty in the year of Jubilee. In Leviticus 25, you can read about it. Then shall you cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the 11th month on the day of atonement. They were blowing it. They were saying, your debts are forgiven. God has forgiven your sins. You don't owe any more house payments because the year of Jubilee. Could you imagine that? That'd be, a, that'd be one of those associated sounds with happiness. My sins are forgiven. My debt's forgiven. The law. Wow. 
When God brought the children of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land, he said, oh, I'm going to give you Jericho. And the way that I'm going to do it is not with your sword and not with your spear and not with your might. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have you go round and round and round and round the city. But when you're done, you're going to do something that's going to mean a lot to you. It's not going to mean a lot to them, but it's going to mean a lot to you because you're going to know what it's about. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Oh yeah, they blew it at atonement. Oh yeah, they blew it when God called the people together. Oh yeah, they blew it when all of our sins are forgiven and when our, our, uh, our, all of our debts have even been forgiven. Oh, they're going to blow it. And what's going to happen? Let me tell you what's going to happen. The people will shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall flat. And we, what happened, right? Can you imagine being there that day, Luke? So when you hear this song and you say that the, the, the blowing of this, the people of God who are singing this are remembering the giving of the law. They're remembering the falling flat of Jericho. They're remembering the forgiveness of their debts. And then they did it, Brother Steve, every time a king was anointed and inaugurated. It, First Kings 134, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, long live the king. You might think the British made it up, but they didn't. Long live the king. Second Kings eleven twelve. He brought in the king's son. They put a crown on him. They gave testimony. They made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands. And they said, long live the king. Second Kings 11, trumpeters were there by the king. And the people of the land were rejoicing. And they were blowing their trumpets. Can you just picture this? They would also do it when they came into the house of the Lord. Wouldn't it be neat if we could do that here? When they came into the house of the Lord. We do this. Come on, that's what you do when you're getting ready to fight somebody. The Levites stood with instruments of David, with the priests and trumpets. Hezekiah commanded them of the burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began. I don't know what the song of the Lord is, but I want to know it. The song of the Lord began and the trumpets began to blow. The assembly began worshiping. The singer sang and the trumpets sounded. Oh, Jonathan, what could we do? How could we incorporate that? All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. The shofar was blown as an act of worship to God. In fact, it's telling you to do that in the psalm. They're singing about doing it. In Isaiah, the people were gathered to worship under the sound of the shofar. So shall it be in that day, God says in Isaiah 27, 13, that the great trumpet will be blown. They will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria, those who are outcasts in the land, and they shall worship the Lord in the holy mount of Jerusalem. Isaiah declares that the trump of God will sound and the people of God will gather to worship him. We know in Psalm 47, we've just read it. God's gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of the trumpet sing praises to God. Psalm 98 says we should do this with trumpets, with the sound of the horn joyfully before the Lord, the King. I mean, there's nothing more joyful than knowing your debts are forgiven and your sins are forgiven. And that when you praise him, walls fall flat. Wow. I'm about to come completely unglued. We know in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a... He'll go, woo. <laughs> Do you know these shouts they're talking about aren't not talking about from God? They're talking about from us. He rises with a shout. Who's shouting? Is God shouting as he's going? Oh, no. If he shouted, the whole earth would just break. 
But when we see him rising, oh, there he is, the king of glory, hallelujah. And we clap our hands, oh yeah, well, all right, well, settle down. I mean, all that's going to happen is that the dead in Christ shall rise. I mean, everyone you've ever loved, everyone that's ever died, everyone you thought was out of your reach, everyone whose neck you would like to hug today, they're going to be there. Oh, don't get too excited, people. Just sit there. Those who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds to meet them in the air, and we shall ever be with the Lord. There'll be a trumpet blowing that day. Hope you know what to do. Matthew 24, he will send his angels with the sound of a great trumpet. You might want to learn what this sound is like so, so you're ready. He will gather the elect from the four winds from one end to the other. 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. You might not be looking forward to that day as much as I am, but I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait till the trumpet is blown. Declaring the establishment of God's kingdom happened in Revelation 11 and I'll, I'll quit on that I'm not done with the psalm I'm quitting on the trumpet just settle in Revelation 11:15. they have been going thing after thing after thing is, is being established and it says and then the seventh angel sounded guys do you know that the angels are even going to be blowing these things I don't know how an angel blows anything but he's going to do it Loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. The psalm continues with a few more verses saying, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Sounds like a little repetition, doesn't it? Maybe he should have not repeated himself so much, but maybe he should have. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Are you hearing something here? Praise Him. 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 Why? Verse 7. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. You need to know who He is. You need to know what He's done. You need to know what He's doing in the world. And that one day when the trumpet blows... What's going to happen? He reigns over the heathen. Verse 8. God sits on his throne of holiness. He is like no other. The princes of the people. Verse 9. Are gathered together. Even the people of God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. And he is greatly exalted. Folks, I'm telling you right now. This psalm is a psalm that we really apparently can't quite participate in because of how we think but I pray one day we'll be able to do this we'll be able to clap our hands we'll be able to stomp our feet we'll be able to shout to the Lord because he is worthy of it we do it for the people of this world who do nothing but we cannot even do it for our own king of glory think on that let us pray heavenly father we love you we thank you for loving us Lord, I cannot even imagine what it would have been like to see that those enemies strewn out as corpses on the ground around Jerusalem as they did in that day. But I know that I do know what it's like to see my own life, my own self who was dead in my trespasses and sins, who, who once was a slave to my sin, who once had no hope and was without you in the world. 
And I know what it's like to see your rich mercy displayed on me, your goodness and kindness to me. And to know that death shall not have dominion and sin shall not have dominion. And all those that I've lost will one day be with me again. And for that, I believe I can shout and I can sing and I can clap just as they clapped when they sang Psalm 47. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said with a resounding amen. 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 Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.